like Pastor Craig said, my name is Daniel, and me and my wife, Katie, we just get the incredible privilege of being part of this family with you guys. And so this morning, we're in a series that, honestly, it's, it's kind of strange. And if you're, if you're new to church, maybe it's your first time, this might be a little bit of a different message. Uh, but I want to encourage you just maybe to tag along with us, because this idea of legacy there, and if you were with us last year, it was called Generosity Sunday, this series that we're in. Uh, it really has a close place to my heart. I think we're going to have a video, a little bit of kind of what God's done through my wife and Kate, uh, my wife, me and my wife Katie, uh, our life through this. But around this idea of finances, of money, what it looks like. And you might be thinking if you're in this place, like, whoa, like, like talk about like love, forgiveness, helping the poor, but like leave my wallet out of this, right? Like, well, what does it have to do? Like, you know, we got separation between religion and state. Let's have separation between religion and my wallet. Like that would keep me good and what it looks like. But I know my story growing up that finances had a huge part to play in, in my home growing up and, and what we did and what we didn't do and some of the arguments that we heard. And, and the reality is that finances just affects our life. And because it affects our life, we see that Jesus comes onto the scene. And, and I want to preface this this way. If this morning you're visiting and you don't yet follow Jesus, what we're about to talk about when it comes to finances is a description of the way that Jesus says, if you would like to follow me, you're called to, this is how we handle our finances. You see, Jesus did this all the time. He came onto the scene and into a world and a culture where they thought life worked a certain way. And Jesus comes and preaches this upside down kingdom. He does this all the time. Like during Matthew, we walked about this uh, in a series called Blessed a while ago. Uh, and we just looked at all the different things. And Jesus is trying to let us know, says, listen, you used to do life a certain way. But if you desire to follow me and be about my father's kingdom, things work a little bit different. Like he says crazy things like, hey, if you want to follow me and find life, uh, die to yourself and pick up this piece uh, of wood that's used for crucifixion and carry that. And then you can follow me. And you're like... Uh, pardon? Uh, and it's funny. In certain things, we take the Bible so literal, like that's what it means. And when it gets uncomfortable, we're like, oh, it's allegorical. Like it's just, he's, he's just using it as an example. He didn't really that. He says things like, hey, in my kingdom, if you want to be first, uh, be last. What, like, uh, you think in class, like, hey, line up here, and you're the back line. You're like, that's actually the front of the line now. I used to love it when teachers did. Like, well, what are you talking about? You're like, if you want to be great, Jesus actually calls us to be great. He created you to be great. It doesn't give God any glory when you downplay your life and you just, oh, I just need to be high. Just, no, God made you to be great. So if you want to be great, you're actually called to be a servant. He says, hey, when you're attacked, don't strike back. Just turn the other cheek and actually pray for them instead. Like Jesus had this crazy upside down kingdom where he says, listen, you think life works this way. And then I picture him almost pulling out the Dr. Phil. He's like, how's that working for you? Right? And he's just like, but, but I want to do it this way. Yeah, your family's broken up and there's war all around and you're, you don't have enough to eat. And you guys, are, how's that working out for you? Like I have this kingdom and we, sometimes we do this as followers of Jesus. We look at all these beautiful promises of God, of, of blessing. He's going to be with your family. He's going to grow. He's going to do all of these things. Like, yeah, I want that. And Jesus is like, okay, in my kingdom, here's how you get there. You'll be like, nah, skip that though. Like, can we just fast forward to that blessing stuff? I, I like that. I'll take some of that. Like, Jesus says things like this. Like, it's actually, you're more blessed when you give than when you get. Like, you're just going to be so much more happy. Like, if you want to be rich, just go give all your money away. And you'll just be so rich in heaven. You're like, 
Uh, this is when people slowly start, like, leaving the back, like, climbing over the hill. Like, oh, the, uh, yeah, I got a, a, a lamb roasting. I got I to gotta, I gotta go. We'll, we'll catch up. But you see, it's interesting about this idea of all of these teachings of upside-down kingdom that Jesus says, hey, listen. I know you're used to doing life this way, but this is actually, if you want to be part of my kingdom, if you would like to follow me, this is how you're supposed to handle life. When it comes to these topics, the most common topic that Jesus talks about in this upside down kingdom is finances. And we looked at it last week that like in the Bible, it mentions prayer and faith 500 times, which is a lot. There's a lot of verses in there. But when it comes to your money and your possessions, again, in, in an agricultural uh, society, what it looks like, the goats that you had was like the dollar bills in your pocket. Like today, we're not walking around with goats, we're walking around with 20s. But it was like this idea when it's dealing with your possessions, your finances, he mentions it 2,000 plus times in the Bible. Like more than prayer. Like God talks about money. One third and just a little bit over that of the parables that Jesus taught had to do with finances and money. Why? Because he knows that this is an area that will lead our lives if we don't lead it. It's this idea, he goes, I understand that you can have the best of intentions to do this, but if this area of your life is out of order, it can hinder you from that. You'll become a slave to that. And, and, and if you missed it last week, you can go online on horizonfam.ca and listen to the message where we talked about this idea of why is money so important? Because it says in the Bible this, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because we can think, oh, God's just after your money. No, he's after your heart. He just understands the way to your heart. There's a doorway, and it's called your wallet. And he needs to get through there, that there's an attachment to that. And that's not even a, like a crazy, like, abstract thought. For those in this room that you have investments and retirements, you're invested in that because your money's there. That's where your future is. There's, there, you're invested in something that way. And God says, listen, I need you to understand that I'm your provision, not your bank account. Where your heart is there, your, or where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. We talked about that last week. And this week, we're going to look at this one idea, this one kind of piece of the pie, so to say, around finances. And you see, one of the ways the Bible helps us understand how to handle finances is it borrows this uh, agrarian term of sowing and reaping. Now, there's probably most of us in this room, uh, maybe you've never plowed a field before, you've never planted things, you've got brown thumbs, not green thumbs. And so when it comes to this idea, but Jesus was speaking to a culture where they understood this. This idea of sowing is to take a seed. You plow the ground, and you actually, it's called to sew it. And seamstresses in the room, you're getting like pumped, like, we're knitting sweater. No. Uh, but like, you got these seeds, and it's to plant it in the ground, and to bury it. And there's this time of unseen. It's an investment that we're talking about. So we use this term sow. That's what we're going to talk about. And there's this other thing called reaping. This idea that when you sow a seed, there comes a time where you will reap a harvest, that it's interesting, you don't sow a kernel of corn and reap a new kernel of corn. You sow a kernel of corn, a seed, and you reap a corn stalk with many ears of corn with lots of little... I love corn on the cob. So I get distracted. We're, we're going to get there. But this idea of sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. When it comes to the idea, say like, oh, I'm not sure about that, about that tea. Like, oh, you just give to get. Well, it would be a pretty foolish farmer to go sow a field and never expect a harvest. Right? Because sometimes like, no, no, I just got, I'm never going to expect God to bless me. It's not about that. Like, 
Again, deal with your heart issue. Yes, it can't be a selfish thing, but understand that this is a principle that God talks about in his word of sowing and reaping. See, Jesus teaches us that in his kingdom, there's actually a connection between how and if we sow with our finances. Again, this isn't when he's talking about allegory. This is literal. There's a connection with if you sow, how much you sow is connected to how much of the blessing of God that you experience. Now that term is making most people in this room very uncomfortable as it did me until I realized that it wasn't my idea, it was actually Paul's in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6. You see, there's a church in Corinth where Paul's talking to them and he's saying, listen guys, there was in Jerusalem was this main church and there was this one-time special, what the Bible kind of calls a love offering that we mentioned in church, where there was a need and this was beyond what they would normally give to the church or the tithe. There's this, hey, we're going to take up an offering just to show that church how much we love them and to provide for a need that is there and that's a need that is yet to be there, but we're going to provide for it. And there's a time where they committed to make money and inside of this idea is Paul saying, hey, get ready. I'm coming. Have your offering ready. Give with a cheerful heart. Again, your heart is your responsibility when you give. But he says this, in this context of financial giving to a one-time offering, he says this, if you sow sparingly or you sow a little bit, you're only going to reap a little bit. But if you choose to sow generously, again, with a grateful heart, within your own means. Paul's not talking about a dollar amount. He's talking about a heart condition. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. And then if you, and, and I know some are like, well, maybe he's just talking about our life. No, no, because then he actually goes on to list the types of financial and possessional blessings that come from this type of thing. So to me, it's very important, although it might be uncomfortable and not vogue in Canada, to talk about this idea of finances. We all know that within this last week, you've probably had many conversations in your head and battles of anxiety when it comes to finances, bills or mortgages or rents or, or how am I going to get and Christmas is coming up and how are we going to figure that out and what's that going to cost? and what did, that it's, it's consuming our thoughts all of the time. So if Jesus spent a third of his time teaching on finances, the Apostle Paul draws a connection between the degree we sow financially and the amount of God's blessing in our lives that we reap as a result, I think it's important that we take some time and maybe talk about it. And I love that, like, why do you think Jesus talked about it so much? Probably because we don't know how to do it properly. Right? Like, again, this isn't a big, like, how many verses do you have where God's like, this is how you breathe. You open your arms and you inhale with your stomach, and then at a certain amount of time, you would then exhale. No, we all know how to breathe. It's something natural. There's no need to teach on it. The fact that Jesus saw in his three years of ministry to teach so much on finances tells me that we're terrible at it. Naturally, like our natural inclinations, it's a like, oh, that's future Daniel's problem, credit card, you know, like, that, oh, that's future Daniel's problem, I'll take that now. Like, we, we just, we don't handle finances properly, so we're going to talk about it today. You guys okay? Again, like Pastor Craig said last week, if you feel the need, you can take your head, put it between your legs, squeeze, take a deep breath in, take a deep breath out, and in about 30 minutes, you can go home, it's going to be fine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. And God, in an area of our life that can be sensitive to talk about, um, and if we're honest, can cause thoughts and feelings of comparison to come up and 
that just really mess us up. God, I pray that you would realign our hearts this morning. That, God, you would free us in this area to walk in everything that you've called us to. God, not so much that, so that we can just have a bigger bank account. That's not the point. But, God, that through us you might usher in your kingdom here on earth, that our neighbors, that our coworkers, that our classmates might see what it looks like to handle this area of our lives the way Jesus would intend. God, that we would represent your kingdom with our checkbook. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write down the title, Sow Some for Later. Sow Some for Later. You've heard the term, Save Some for Later, but today we're going to talk about Sow Some for Later. And this idea of financial sowing in some of us in this room, this is, this is a thing that you've got, you've heard many times. For others in this room, this might be new. This might be the first time you've heard about this. You're not really sure what it looks like. But in this idea, there's an incredible promise of God like we've talked about. But what I've come to know in about my 20 years of following Jesus, and more so from listening to people who follow Jesus much longer than me, is this idea that every time there's a promise of God, there's an enemy of that promise. That in our lives, that God has plans and purposes for our life. The Bible says in John 10.10 10, that he came to give us life and life to the full. But it also says in that verse that there's an enemy and his plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so if there is a promise in the Bible for your finances, you can guarantee that the enemy has tactics and plans to discourage you, to distract you, and get you to use your finances and allow it to have you versus you having it. So this morning, I just want to look at three things that sowing defeats in us and accomplishes. Three things that the three plans or schemes of the enemy or mindsets that will hold us captive in this area that when we are obedient just to sow, that it defeats in us. And number one is this, or sorry, we're going to read in Genesis 26. We're going to pull from this story. Uh, if you've heard of Abraham in the Bible, this is his son, the promised son later on. It says this in verse 1 to 4. It says, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. So his dad had a famine, got through it, did some weird stuff where he said like his wife was his sister and all. It's a good story. You should read it. It's in the Bible. Good stuff in there. And it says, and Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, in Gerera. Uh, then the Lord appeared to him and said. So again, this is what's happened here. There's a famine. Isaac's like, there ain't no, like, there, there's no food. There's no jobs. I need to go somewhere where there's no famine. And he's on his way to do this. And the Lord interrupts, says, Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I've given these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give you descendants all these, or I'll give your, to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed or in your bloodline, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So we see that Isaac, he, he was planning to go, planning an easy way out. It was, it, was, it was better there. Jobs were better. But God says, no, 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 stop. I know you think it's not enough in this moment, but I'm actually calling you to stay here and sow into this land. Because we see later on in verse 12 and 13, it says this. That in response to what the Holy Spirit said through God, in verse 12 it says this, Then Isaac sowed in that land. We can throw that verse up there. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Actually, I think I forgot to make this slide. That's my bad. Then Isaac sowed in the land. So again, there's famine, and he sowed, he planted, he farmed in the land, and reaped in that same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And I love this. 
It's like, and the man began to prosper. He continued to prosper until he became very prosperous. Like we see that just the blessing of God in this area was just incredible. And through this story, we're just going to pull out three lies of the enemy that Isaac had to defeat, that sowing will help us defeat these enemies of our lives as well. And number one is this mindset of famine. This mindset of famine. It says in the Bible, it says in the first verses, there was famine in the land. And I've come to understand in talking to people around this idea of legacy Sundays and offerings like this, one of the number one excuses that we come up with to not give is I don't have enough to give. Right? Like as we talk about this, you're like, oh, man, I'd love to, love to give that. You know, there's, I was growing up, actually my youth pastor, uh, Pastor Corey, told me this idea when I was talking about like, man, if I had a job, I'd give. He goes, Daniel, there's kind of this story where there's this farmer who's talking to this pastor, and he's like, Pastor, if I win the lottery... I'll give 10% to the church. He's like, oh, wow. Oh, that's awesome. Wow, that's great. He goes, but uh, what, if, what if you only won like 500 grand? Yeah, yeah, I'd, 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 give, I'd give the church 10%. Absolutely, I would give to that. No problem. He goes, wow, that's awesome. Like, what if it was like 25 grand? He's like, oh, like, yeah, no, I think I'd still. Okay, okay. What if you won $10,000? Yeah, pastor, absolutely, I'd give you. He goes, what if you had two cows? He's like, whoa, 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 I have cows. You back off. And it's this idea that if things were better, I'd be generous. But don't ask me to be generous with what I have. And we see that Isaac had this mindset that I'm sitting there, there's famine, and I'm not going to be able to make it. But God says, listen, I want you to change your mindset. Isaac was trying to skip town because he was convinced that what he had and where he was was not enough. The land was desolate. The seed wasn't enough. He didn't have enough to sow. And if he could just get to Egypt, it would be better. Again, you may not be planning a trip to Egypt, but doesn't that sound a little bit familiar to you and me? You know, the enemy will always cause you to focus on what you don't have. If I just had a better job, if my boss would just give me that raise, if we lived in a different, house, different housing market, then I could be generous. But do you, we live in the lower mainland. Are you kidding me? If I just had a different spouse, said no man in this room ever, don't worry. If my kids just behaved like that family and would come off the chandelier, and, and then, then I'd be able to do what God had called me to. If I just grew up in a different family that set me up better with a, a retirement fund or a, a college fund, and I didn't have to get this student loan, if I could just get into a different school, my teacher would just see me in a different way. We're always making excuses for our lack of obedience based on our lack of perceived provision in the moment. Family, can I tell you that you will never be generous if you have more? Generosity is a heart issue, not an amount issue. Let's look to the story. Jesus tells a story of a widow who had two pennies. And there's people dropping like mad cash in the offering plate. And it's just like dollar bills everywhere. And this widow comes up in the corner and she gives these two pennies. She goes, she gave more than anyone else. It's not a dollar amount. It's a, it's a heart response. See, the excuse is no different when it comes to moments like Legacy Sunday coming up November 25th. It says, oh, I, I don't have the finances to give. I'm not in the, it's not the right time. If you did it after our tax refund, then I could give. But before, like, I'm not sure. And, and so that we can come up with all of these excuses that we have a famine mentality. 
You see, I think sometimes we ask, pray, and we pray for miracles. God, would you bless me with this? God, would you do this? God, would you just give me that car? God, would you give me that house? And oftentimes, we pray for a miracle, and what Jesus does is he responds by giving you a seed. He says, God, I need a harvest. He goes, there's a seed. Sow it and trust me. Would you stay where I've called you to? Would you sow it? You see, sowing takes our eyes off of what we don't have and causes us to see what we do have. And this is what's important. Again, tell, like, it wasn't that where he was didn't have enough crops. But God needed Isaac to see that your crops are not your provision. And the little seed that he had, he's in this moment of famine, like, oh, I, I can't do it. He goes, no, 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 you're looking at things all wrong. You're discounting the things. And how often in our life, if I was just more outgoing, God, I'd serve you. If I just knew more about the Bible, then I would do that. If I just had more time, then I would serve. If I just had more money, then I would be gener- generous and, and I could walk in generosity more. Can I tell you, more will just get you more of what you have. And if a selfish attitude is it, if a lack mentality is it, if a famine mentality is it, God may bless you with a harvest and you're just still going to be afraid that there's still famine. God has called us and he set it up this way because it goes against our nature. He says, God, I, I need to gather. He goes, no, you're trusting in the wrong things. Take the little that you have and I want you to sow it. Because sowing and giving, and again, in a practical sense, when we sow and give financially to something, I'll, I'll put it this way. If, if I had lemons, and I had a lemon company, and you were to sow into my lemon company, you'd got, God, life give you lemons, you're making lemonade, all right? Like it's a situation. And you were to give money towards it, I guarantee you that you would come and see how that's going once in a while that you would be more invested in that. You might have not have even been aware that there was a lemonade company, but because you sowed into it, you're aware of it. Like some of us in this room, we're just unaware of what God wants to do through this church because maybe our hearts aren't connected to what God's doing in the vision of this church yet. Some of us were wondering, oh, what is one? you haven't sowed enough time into going to a grow track to understand what your purpose is, to figure out where you want to be in this team, that you're too busy to sow some time into a small group. You're praying about being lonely. You're praying about finding a spouse. You're praying about not having friends. You're praying about feeling alone in a crowd, but you're unwilling. You're focusing on what you don't have, and we're unwilling to say, I'm just going to invest some time in a small group and believe that even in my loneliness, God can provide, that even in my lack, that God can provide, that I may not be able to serve, but hey, I can show up to church 20 minutes early and shake someone's hand that that I can do this, that sowing and investing reminds us of what we do have and takes our attention off the things that we don't have because God can do so much more with what you do have than what you don't have. And the second thing, oh, one of the other things that's kind of fun that's interesting is one minute that Isaac, he's sitting there saying, God, I need to leave because the famine in the land is too great. God changes his perspective, says, I'm not going to take you out of it. I'm going to cause you to sow in it. Then all of a sudden, he had enough seed to sow. Isn't that interesting? That God didn't give him a bunch of seeds, say, okay, no, here, take this and sow. He said, hey, you're running, saying there's nothing here. Look what's in your hand and put it in the ground and sow. And watch what I will do through your faithfulness. The famine didn't change. Isaac's perspective in the famine changed. Sowing will take you from seeing just a seed and will cause you to see the potential life that's in that seed. This is what I love sometimes. Like, what's, what's giving this $100 going to do? You sow a kernel of corn. 
but you reap a stalk which has multiple ears of corn, which has multiple little kernels of corn that get stuck in your teeth when you eat it because it's delicious, right? It's this idea that this is what's this understanding of sowing. The second thing that sowing defeats in us is fear. When I was going through Bible college, one of the most profound teachers who ended up becoming my father-in-law as well changed my life and the direction of my life when it came to ministry. He said, Daniel, everything great that God has called you to will be on the other side of fear. And if you think about the things you're afraid of, my question is, what's on the other side of that? Like God calls you to something, you know what the enemy's going to do? Make you afraid of it. Paralyze you with fear. Remind you that you're not good enough. Remind you that you don't have enough. Remind you that you're from the wrong pedigree or the wrong ethnicity or you don't have the right job or you didn't get the right education. Remind you of that failed business of the time you didn't use money properly or remind you, oh, you missed that tithe one time and God, no, no, like that fear will come in and it will become the prison to which we live. You see, Isaac was in famine, which meant this. It wasn't that they had a bad crop here. For it to be called a famine, it would have had to at least been one full harvest cycle where nothing grew. Where they had tried it and nothing happened. It probably would have been about three years of brutal crops. Like barely enough to get by. And could you imagine the fear in Isaac's heart where he's like, God, like this is all I have to live on. And you're saying don't eat it. Like put it in the ground. And I'm going to trust that in obedience to you, what in my own efforts didn't work, but in obedience to you, it's somehow going to work because you're working on my behalf. Family, can I tell you, if there's fear in the area of finances, you don't work your way out, you give your way out. There's a sowing that needs to happen where you no longer allow the enemy to come in with fear. Now, now hear me, I'm not saying be irresponsible. The Bible teaches on principles of having savings, that it's a righteous man that leaves an inheritance for his kids' kids. Again, the, so like there, there's, there's smart ways in handling your money. But I think the more we gain, if we're not careful, it begins to have us a little bit. Like how much of our stress and anxiety in your week? Close your eyes for a second. How much of your stress and anxiety that you've experienced this week had anything to do with your finances? How much of your self-talk, your distractions, thinking about, oh, I've got to make sure that, oh, how's that bank account? Oh, can we do that? Okay, what, what are we looking at? Oh, how much was groceries? You spent how much on that? Oh, okay, what is this? Oh, okay, I need to do that. Oh, Christmas is coming up. Oh, I'd love to do that. Oh, but I don't have enough. And oh, how are we going to pay for that? Oh, the car broke down. Oh, I... Rent, retirement, school bills, groceries, kids, cars. See, for Isaac, it took faith to believe that sowing the little he did have that wasn't enough for him would somehow produce a harvest that would be more than enough. Isaac had nothing else to hold on to other than the promise of God. And I love this because this, this, is, this is key because you might be sitting here thinking like, oh, I just need to give and then I'll get some. But let's put up that one verse. That this is actually the two promises that God gave him. And we miss the first one all of the time. I think it's in verse 2 going into verse 3. It says, don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land, this idea of sowing, which I, which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land. Live there. Set up home. Have kids there. Make this your place. Here's the promise. I will be with you. And a subsequent lesser promise is that I will bless you. 
what would it look like if we were so, so convinced that if God is with us, who could be against us? That if God tells us to do something, our lack of anything didn't stop us from our obedience to the one who's with us. Like Isaac, he, he's sitting there, he's like, you're in land, you're in famine, everything should be fearful, like, like all the people are leaving, your neighbors have left, the other farmers have left, like the land is real cheap because it's real bare, and there's nothing going on, but then God says, hey, stop sowing the land. He's like, are you sure? He's like, I'll be with you. He's like, all right, we're good. Because remember, Isaac is the result of God being with Abraham in an impossible situation where he tried to work it out on his own. He says, no, wait for the promise. Isaac understood this idea. I love the order of the promise God gives Isaac. I'll be with you first, and I will bless you second. You know, when it comes to actually agriculture and farming, there, it's interesting, I was actually reading my, my father-in-law, he wrote a book on the seasons of life, and he's looking at just the seasons of farming. And that there's this interesting difference that one week you look at a farm and this field, and it's just bare brown, there's no seeds, and then you can come back one week later, and all of a sudden there's new life sprouting up everywhere. There's these sprouts, there's these things. What's the difference between winter and spring? He says in, 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 in the natural sense, the only difference is in the earth's rotation, the proximity of that land to the sun changes. Can I tell you, family, that you might be sowing into something that's not good. You don't need to worry. You need to change your proximity to the Son. You need to get closer to the Father because the promise is that His presence and out of His presence comes blessing. That He knows your need. You don't need to worry. You just need to get closer to Jesus. You don't need to worry. You need to worship. You don't need to worry about your finances. You just need to sow in obedience. Say, God, what would you give me? You need to change your proximity to the Son because the opposite of fear is faith. Where you said, God, if I'm with you, I know everything's going to be okay. If you're close to me, it's going to be okay. I know, wow, you want me to give how much? And that, like, I remember last, last Generosity Sunday, me and my wife sat right here. And we're about to give. And I remember God saying, no, a different number. I was like, no, you're wrong. He's like, no, you're wrong. I was like, all right, you win. And then like, I'm sitting like rolling my eyes. And I look over my wife, what about this? And she rolled her eyes. I was like, I know, that's what I told him. But he, he said, it's fine. And, but it was a situation where I had, we have a decision. And all of us will have a decision. God, what, what do you want me to give? What have you decided to give in your heart? And Holy Spirit, what do you have for me? You see, sowing makes you more dependent on the God who brings the harvest rather than looking to the seed to produce what it can't on its own. Isaac had to trust that if he were to put a seed in its ground, that something, the unseen work as a seed is buried, he's trusting that God's doing something, that God's working on his behalf, even when he doesn't see it. But he doesn't need to worry about the blessing. He just needs to worry about the proximity to the Father. Because if he is with me, he will bless me. It is, an, it is a byproduct of our closeness to God. Family sowing reminds us that we're desperate for the presence of God. It's some of those things that just defeats fear in our lives. See, the blessing of God was a byproduct of the proximity to God. When we sow financially, it overcomes a spirit of fear and it replaces it with a spirit of faith. That this is why God goes after our money because there's so much fear around this area. He said, if you would just trust me, oh, would you taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, the song 
that we uh, just sung in the bridge, uh, Faithful to the End, says this. I really felt this morning, I wasn't sure when to do it. I feel like Holy Spirit wants me to do this now, that there's someone in this room, and I'm not necessarily saying it's finances, but you're ready to throw in the towel. Like it just looks like there's, it's hopeless, that it's not good, that you just can't make it. And the lyrics of the song, I feel like were for you, and so I, I feel like we just need to pause. It says, there wasn't a day that you weren't by my side. There wasn't a day that you let me fail. All of my life, your love has been true. And all of my life, I will worship you. Again, this is the promise of his kingdom. Again, this is this upside-down kingdom that God says, listen, I know there's a desire in your heart, and you think you need to get it one way, but I'm telling you, you think you need more things to make you secure. He goes, no, you need to sow so that you can find your security in me, that you can be free from worry. You can be free from anxiety. You can be free from stress. You can be free from debt. You can, and again, we're not being foolish with this. We're sowing in good soil. That This is what God has called us to do. And the last thing, that giving defeats in us is short-sightedness or lack of vision. It goes on to say this. It says, for you and your descendants, I will give these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. Isaac, it's not just about you. And I will make your descendants, Abraham, it's not just, or, or Isaac, it's not just about you. Multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give your descendants all of these lands. And in your seed, not in your life, but what your life will produce in a natural sense and a spiritual, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. See, if Isaac was worried about himself, he would have peaced out to Egypt. And in moments, the enemy will cause us to be so focused on ourselves, so focused on our problems that we forget the promise. And God says, Isaac, I know you got a problem right now. You're dealing with a little bit of lack, but don't forget my promise that I gave to your father. That I need this land is a promise, and it might look like a problem right now, but you just need to sow in the land and trust me. That when we sow, it causes us to lift our eyes off of our problems and fix our eyes on the promises of God that you've called us. That when we're sitting in a situation where we're hearing about shootings and we're hearing about just that people are leaving the church is what it looks like. And we're looking at this problem. We fix our eyes on a promise to a young single mom many years ago that said, I'm going to plant a church that's going to change a city. And I'm going to plant a church that plants churches. And we're going to adopt more elementary schools that need help. And we're going to help more families. Then we're going to find more people that find the way to Jesus, that more people are going to be released from anxiety and suicidal thoughts because the hope of Jesus floods their heart, that I'm not going to wait for someone else to do it, that I'm going to find fulfillment, that I'm going to find my purpose, that I'm going to get involved, that I'm going to start to activate the things that God has given me. Can I tell you, you become more aware of what God is doing when you begin to financially invest and say, I'm going to sow. I might not know what the need is yet, but I'm going to sow so that when there is a need one day, when my descendants one day are looking for something, I'm going to make sure that they're not holding a seed, but they're reaping a harvest and a field so that they might be able to go further. You see, short-sightedness only sees your lifetime, but vision causes you to see legacy. Today, we took a moment, we celebrated young men and women that were willing to give their lives so that once they were long gone no one maybe remembers their name 
but we stand in the harvest of what they sowed. Family, how many more elementary schools need to be adopted by churches that are just waiting for your seed to be sown? How many more church plants in our city, in our country? How many more villages and and reserves need the hope of God in their lives because we'll be called to go? How many more of our neighbors put their head on their pillow at night not understanding that there's a God that loves them? Family, what's on the other side of your giving? Because when God gets a hold of your heart, there's no check that's too big. There's no give. There's like, God, I'll sow. God, I'll trust you. Because I'm not just worried about my comfort. I'm worried about legacy. God, I want my children to live in a city where God is lifted high. I want my children to be planting churches. I want my children. It doesn't matter about my name. It's not about my first name, about me. It's about the family that I'm a part of. Family, I love my my, my first name, Daniel. Love it. But you know the name I love more? My last name, Eliason, because it says what I'm a part of. That's where legacy is. What would it look like if it's Horizon Church? It wasn't about us. It was about who we belonged to. I said, God, I'll, I'll live the way you call me. You see, sowing reminds us of what we're called to do. And we don't get distracted by the little things. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that really encompasses this idea of legacy. In Hebrews 11. It's this long list. It actually has Isaac in there, and it goes and talks. It's known in the Bible and biblical literature as the hall of faith. Like these are heroes of the faith. Incredible people that gave and sacrificially. But it says this verse that used to drive me nuts. It says these were all commended for the faith. They're heroes. They're, their names are on the wall in the kingdom of God. Yet none of them received what had been promised. You know that Isaac, when he sowed, he didn't see the fulfillment of that promise, yet he gave his life as a seed. I remember it was a couple years ago when this idea, this verse was just praying, and I was struggling, like, God, like, I thought you called me to do this. What, is it? what does it look like, God? And, and there was some old self-ambition, this and that. I remember God brought me to this verse. He said, Daniel, what would it look like if you had a vision so big that only your children's children could see the fulfillment of it long past you were gone? Like family, like we got to get past small thinking that's just about my retirement or my house or second house. But what would it be a life where we're looking for opportunities for legacy? We're looking to sow a field that maybe one day when I'm long gone, it's going to be see the fruit of it. Some seeds see a seasonal harvest right away. Other seeds, it takes generations to see a tree grow, to grow and produce fruit. What would it look like if we allowed God not to understand that when we come to Jesus, there is new life and inside the totality of your life is but a seed. What if we were to say, God, sow me in my neighborhood. Sow me in my workplace. God, would you sow me in this city that out of your life people might see fruit of the kingdom of God where God says, let my kingdom come, my will be done. God, I'm just a seed. Would you plant me, God? Because I know that if I were to give my life, out of my life might come the fragrance of heaven. That you might see the kingdom of God. Because your neighbors need to know there's a better reality for their life. Your classmates need to know that there's a better reality for their future. St. Daniel, who would live a life so selfless? I tell you, there's a man a couple thousand years ago that came. 
His name was Jesus, and he sowed his life here on earth, not for selfish gain, but it said as a seed he was buried in the grave, and he sowed his life so that you and I might eat of the benefits of that, that out of the resurrection, out of that seed came new life. Out of that seed came salvation for man, that his father was so desperate for you and me, that Jesus, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he set his eyes on legacy, not just his lifetime. It said, there's people that need my father. There's people that need to be free. There's people that need to know there's a God that love him. So my life, it's not about me. God, you can sow me. You can put me in the ground because I have faith, not fear, that when you rise me up, that there's going to be a harvest for your kingdom. Family, we're called to live a life in such a way that we understand that it's not about us. We're just a seed. God's calling us to be obedient to where he might plant us. And can I tell you, being obedient to God isn't just about your money, but I've come to realize it rarely doesn't involve some money. (laughs) That God is desperate for your heart and he'll use whatever means possible to get there. Family sowing, it defeats an attitude of famine. It defeats fear in your life and it gives you new vision for what your life is meant to be. We're called to live for legacy, not just lifetime. So what I want to do in a moment might be uncomfortable for you, but I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to ask, we're going to throw a question up on the screen, so maybe open your eyes to read it first. (laughs) I want us to pray this together. And if you got a phone, if you got something, I just want you to begin to listen to Holy Spirit, what he might say. Say, Holy Spirit. We'll try that again. Some of you are like, I ain't saying that. Okay, that's it. Holy Spirit, what would you like me to sow for later this Legacy Sunday. Let's just take a minute. What would God put on your heart? What vision would God give you to to sow some for later? Spirit, I ask that you would, God, you would expand our vision, that it might be big enough to to house your kingdom, just a small part of it, God. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be of the smallest piece of your kingdom, that out of our lives might just come forth kingdom fruit, that people might be able to come and to taste and see that the Lord is good through our finances, to taste and see that the Lord is good through our marriage, to taste and see that the Lord is good through our work ethic, to taste and see how we, our thought life, how our marriages, how our families go, Lord. God, would you help us to see our lives as just seed in your hand, that we would be willing and ready to sow wherever you would like us to sow.
Jesus, I thank you that this isn't a dollar amount. This is a heart posture towards you. Where we see, God, my life needs to be about more than just my life. God, I want to be a part of a legacy that brings forth your kingdom here in Surrey, in Canada as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.